they've not been married too long. They're pretty new man and wife, husband and wife. And so we're grateful the Lord has brought them together. And after all these years of service to the king and everything, that uh, Johnny and his bride, I don't know what God's going to do with him. He brought him here from a foreign country and sent him to Christ for the nations. And his lovely wife uh, went there. And now he's graduated just recently, and I don't know exactly what all God's going to use them for, but I do know he's going to use them in a mighty way, you know, because we're, we're not going to take anything but that, are we, Johnny? We're here to make a difference for the kingdom, and that's what it takes. One man, one woman, for how long? Forever. One man, one woman, forever. Marriage is not a trial situation. That's not what it is, you know. It's a covenant between a man and a woman. And it's to be kept forever. Does anybody have any testimonies today before we get off into the message? Uh, we got uh, this little lady here. She wants to tell us something. So come up here, little lady, and let's see what kind of a testimony do you have. Jesus is always using this little lady for some wonderful something. So we'll just let her tell us what God's doing in her life. Well, I was walking my dog on, I think it was Wednesday, and she broke loose. But the leash was still, she broke the leash in half, so I still had the leash with me. And as I went to catch her, she dragged me, and I fell twisting my right arm all the way backwards. And my mom made me go to the doctor. I'm like, yeah, all right. And so I'm like, yeah, you can run every test in the world. There's nothing wrong with it. They ran 24 x-rays, and there's like nothing. Then they called in somebody else. They spent like two and a half hours with me. I'm like, I'm like, give up already. Like, there's nothing wrong here. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God's little children. He gives all of us different gifts. Uh, Juanita, you had a, something you want to say. Praise the King. God does great things. I'm glad we're all His children. I'm glad we know Him and we love Him and we serve Him, Juanita, aren't you? I'll give you the short version. Okay. I couldn't begin to tell you in the last two weekends how many miracles God has worked moving. And I know a lot of people have been praying, ones that helped, couldn't help. Every time something would go wrong, God would fix it. Dallas and Susan helped. Their van overloaded or overheated. And Bill helped figure out how to take the cap off of a bottle and fix it. Uh, we didn't get the shed all put together, the aluminum shed I bought. Friendly neighbor up there in the trailer park where I'm moving said, Well, I have an extra shed here that's empty. Here's the key. You can put your stuff in there. It was like awesome. Everything that could have really ruined everything, God fixed it. But I, I couldn't have done it. I kept telling God that this is over my head. You're going to help do it. You're going to do it all. <laughs> because he promised that he would be my Boaz. Especially since Mike Dottie said, I'll be your Boaz. And I'm not just going to give you hope. I'm going to tangibly bless you. So I knew I was going to get a new place to live. And it's starting to happen. That was the whole God thing, how I got a mobile home. It's moving tomorrow. So pray that the angels hold that trailer together <laughs> till it gets up there. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm through phase two. Got one more. We had to put stuff in storage, and it just fit, and we got the door down. You know how that is? The last thing's kind of, okay. And, it, you know, and I had nine or ten people 
help and and Dean kept saying I've never seen anything like this in my life usually you end up two or three people helping you and they're killer so it was great each it was like and I I prayed God and just the right people they have just the right skills and he did each one did their thing and it just went so smooth and Dean says I'm not even sore (laughs) I am but (laughs) you know I'm going to get over it but I would have been a lot worse if God hadn't blessed me in so many ways with so much help it's just awesome. People from Hillcrest and people from here, and I want to thank you all. Even if you offered to help but you couldn't, it was a God thing from beginning to end. And it was so much fun because we were all church friends. And we gave a witness to the people in the trailer park. We laid hands on Greg because his back was sore. And uh, Dallas witnessed to the manager of the trailer park. And, and it was just cool. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else have another testimony of any kind you want to? Somebody's got one? Come up here, brother. Come up here. Tell us what. I know you got a good one. I already know what yours is. I think. I think it better be what I think. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is my bride back here. We got married on yeah, July 31st, 1964. Yeah, that, that bride. Bride, yeah, stand up. <laughs> Come up here. Come on here. Come on. I know what he's going to tell. This, no. is, his, this is his newlywed bride. Right. Uh, as today we've been married 41 years and I remember my thoughts back when we first got married was well we'd be married a few years and she'll have a few kids or we'll have a few kids and she'll get fat and what happened was we were married a few years and we had the kids and I got fat and uh, and in the last few last five years I lost 50 pounds but, but aside all that i got to tell you something about pain in my back and we don't have to Jesus bore our pain so we don't have to do it uh, just before the uh, healing school over in Justin last month in June, I had, about, I had about with this about a week where my back hurt all the time right above my kidney. And I kept telling Satan, no, you can't do this to me. you got to get. And then it went away. Uh, and then for the last four days, I've had the same thing yesterday when we went out, uh, out around town. I couldn't get comfortable with anything I did. And I'd been telling him, you know, I don't have to bear this pain because Jesus did it for me. And then I remember... Uh, Last night, with the kind of got really, really fierce with him, and I told him, "Look, it's got to go. I'm not going to put up with this because." And I quoted uh, Luke 10:19 to him, and told him that I had Jesus give me all power over him, all of his demons, over all power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt me. And just put it out of my mind. Still hurt, but I kind of try to think about some other things. This morning, it's gone. Amen. It's gone today. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Congratulations on 41 years of marriage. Praise the King. 41 years. That's a great, great testimony. Anybody else before we get into the message? We got one? We got. You want, you want to give one? Okay, come up here. Come up here. Stand right up and tell us what you've got to tell us. Praise the King. Um, hi. I have never experienced this before in my life. But I was sitting, yeah, that was the 29th, when was it yesterday? And uh, I, was, I was sitting on the couch at night, and it was about 11 or maybe 11 or, or 10.35 or something like that. And, and I was reading this book. It wasn't the Bible, but it was, I was reading, you know, I always like to read books. And um, as I was reading, it was talking about uh, how to how to give a, how how to take away your your negative feelings and your negative 
from in the past. You know, I was dealing with that. And so, and I was like concentrating on the book, what it was saying. And I delivered myself. And then guess what? This was really weird. I mean, not weird, but you know. And I was sitting there. And, and something told me to look up. And when I looked up, I saw that spirit. That spirit came out of me. And I saw Sandy standing there. I mean, I saw myself standing there. But it, but it was a spirit. And that spirit had an attitude. I mean, it had like an attitude. And it was like uh, I could still see that, you know, that attitude spirit. And I said, is that me? You know, I was looking at it. And uh, it came out of me. And I was sitting there, and I was quiet, and I was seeing this spirit, and I was like, oh, my God, it's ugly. You know, it was, it was ugly. And so anyway, and while it was there, and it was saying, I hate everything, you know, it was saying all kinds of ugly things. And so, and then when I was there, and I started to kind of panic a little bit, like getting scared, was this thing try to get back in? And I, and I stood, stood my dr- ground, and I... And I force this, I force the ang- anger within myself or something. You have to have a holy anger, but it had that, and then I told it to go in my spirit. I, I didn't, couldn't talk because, you know, there's some people living in that house, and so I had to use my spirit, man, to let that thing go, I mean, to get that thing away from me. I mean, you know, it was coming toward me, but I kind of spoke it in my spirit, and that thing went out the out the door, I mean, in the, you know what I mean? Like in the, in the, through, the, through the wall. Through the wall. And I just want to say Amen. It's gone, right? Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, praise the King. This young lady's got something to tell us. Praise God. I wanted to uh, just say, Pastor, uh, this last week and the week before, a couple of weeks here, I've been uh, just asking the Lord when I go for work, at, for lunch, and I say, Lord, just wherever you want me to go, I'll, I'll just go to, to have lunch at, you know, a, any particular restaurant. So he uh, led me, uh, of course, I don't know, I'm not familiar with any of the restaurants, not familiar with anything there in Arlington where I have to go to the office there. So I uh, went to this one restaurant, and it was a Chinese restaurant, and I uh, went inside, and I sat down, and I ordered my food and everything, and there was a, a few people there for a while, but then everybody just started leaving, and it was just me and the one lady that she was out cleaning tables, and she was just singing. And I says, oh, Lord, I wonder if she's singing a Christian song. I just, I wonder what what is she singing? And I could hear the music, but I don't know at the time it wasn't regulating in my ears. But the next song that came up was How Great Thou Art. And I realized, I was like, wow. So I said, I, I told her, I said, you are playing Christian music in your restaurant. I said, that is so awesome. And then she told me, she says, oh, my sister in Christ, you know. And we started just holding each other's hand. And she was just so glad that I came to, you know, to their restaurant. And then she started telling me, she says, you know, I have been, me and my husband have been having problems because my husband is in a business uh, relationship with this, uh, this other man, and it is not good right now. And he, she says, I'm really, really disturbed. I says, well, I tell you what, let's pray about it. And immediately I grabbed her hands and I says, we're going to go in agreement to God because anything we can ask for, 
God will give us that. And so we went to pray. I went to praying for it. And I mean, when I was praying, she just started crying. And I was just praising God and saying, thank you, God, first and foremost, because he led me there. And uh, after uh, we finished praying, and she said to me, she says, you know, God always comes and brings us, if nothing else, but encouragement. And I realized then, I said, you know, I'm going to give her some CDs. <laughs> and I went and uh, the next day I went on back over there and I, had, I gave her about five or six of them. So I really appreciate the fact that you give us the free CDs and most of the time I'm giving them out to somebody. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's, let's get in the Word. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you and praise you for this day. I want to thank you for this book, this law book, the owner's manual, that tells us who we are, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to treat each other. Everything is written in this book about what we're supposed to do. The blessings if we do what you say and the curses if we don't do what you say. And Lord, I want to thank you for this book. I ask you to speak out of my mouth today as I open this book and bless your people with your word. And I praise you and thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it amazing how you can set up till 2 o'clock in the morning studying and preparing for a message to teach on Sunday morning? And then God wake you up on Sunday morning and say, that's worthless. That's not what I want. I got a whole new message for you today. So I've gotten used to that. You know, it uh, seems like I very rarely ever study the right thing. So last night uh, we did. We stayed at the minister center and Cheryl worked diligently getting out tape of the month. And of course I studied till one thirty or 2 o'clock or whatever it was. And then... Uh, I, we, I told her, one of her told her, I said, well, I think it's time we ought to go home and go to bed so we can get some sleep. And, and she said, well, I've only got a stack this tall left of the tape of the month, so let's finish those. And so we did. That took about 30 minutes. We finished those. And uh, we, after we got all these things done, then we get in the car and drive home and uh, to Colleyville. And... Uh, of course, my honey bunny loves to take a bath. You know, some of you say, well, goodness, who doesn't love to take a bath? Well, she hasn't had a bath in two weeks. Now, when I say that, we live out at the little house out at the minister's center. It only has a shower. So she loves to sit in the bathtub. And so she really loves it. Well, the house at Conneville has a bathtub and as well as a shower. But out at the little house out there where we stay all week long only has a shower. So when we get there last night, of course, you know, she's uh, running around there doing laundry and everything else. And, you know, it's 3 o'clock this morning. And so everything, and of course, I'm uh, trying to get stuff together and everything and trying to do what good husbands are supposed to do, you know, love their wives. So, you know, I'm trying to pet her and love her and stop as she runs through with a load of clothes and stop her and, you know, when she's busy, she comes by, and I put my arm around her waist and pull her up. And she turns and gives me a little peck and starts to leave. And I say, I don't turn her loose. I said, no. And she said, okay. So she gives me another kiss. She starts to turn away. And I said, I'm not through yet. You know. 
And so I love her a little longer. And then first thing you know, you know, she's in my arms and we're loving each other and talking and looking at each other's eyes and everything. And then finally I say, okay, now then you can finish the laundry. And so I turn her loose and let her do the laundry. And then I go in and do some things and, and I lay down and go to bed and she jumps in the bathtub. And I have no idea what time she come to bed this morning till this morning when I woke up. She said she sat in the tub for an hour and a half. <laughs> and so she really took a long bath last night. She really, really got clean. So she ought to really smell good to be clean today. She had a good bath last night. <clears throat> then we woke up this morning. And when I woke up this morning, I was meditating on all the scriptures I've been studying out of the book of Proverbs. When the Lord says, no, that's not what I want you to teach on today. He said, I want you to teach on what you did to your wife last night. I want you to teach my men how to love their wives. I want husbands to know. And he said, I want you to be a demonstration to them of what love is. Wow. I thought, Lord, how many times have I done things wrong in my life and you're going to use me as an example? Wow. Husbands, love your wives. Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You say, how in the world are you going to apply that to marriage? Most people in the church today that are married are living under the yoke of bondage. The husband does not know how to love the wife. I have said this to a lot of men. I've said this to a lot of women. If there's a problem in the family, it's always 150% of the time the man's fault. It is never the woman's fault. God didn't make the woman as the director or the leader of the family. He made the man the leader and the director of the family. The problem is... So few men that I've ever run into ever took serious what God told them to do. And so therefore, their women do not submit to them and do not yield to them because the man has not done what God told him to do. When a man loves a woman that he's married to, like Christ loved the church, you'll never have a problem with your woman. If you don't, you're going to have all kinds of problems with her. You're going to have problems with God, too. You're going to have problems all over the place. Now, God has given us, as he says in chapter 5, verse 1, we are to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. We are free in Christ to love one another. You're not free to run around with another woman. You're not free to look at another woman. You're not free to even think about looking at another woman as a man. I see men all the time that are married, some of them a year, some of them 
40 years, some of them 50 years, some of them 60 years. But I see many men that when they, after they've been married a year, two years, five years, ten years, they begin to take advantage of their wife. They don't do what God tells them to do. So when they wake up in the morning, they fail to turn over and put their arm around their wife and look her in the eye and tell her how much they love her. They just quit doing that. They get up and go do what they want to do, and they never stop. They're too busy. They get ready to leave for work, and your wife may be busy. Now, women, I'm going to tell you, my hat is off to the woman that has a husband and has children, and she works outside the home. I'm going to tell you, you are a glutton for punishment, and that man that you're married to, if that guy won't make you a living, I'm going to tell you, I don't think much of him. And I'm going to tell you, God don't think much of him. If you're not willing, if you have to work two jobs to provide for your wife and your children, then so be it. But you're to be the breadwinner in your home. It's not to be your wife. That woman is to take care of the house. She is to take care of you. She is to take care of the children. She is to walk in love. She is to be a woman that's a busy woman, that's doing great things, keeping a good house, washing the clothes, loving her children, loving people, being busy, doing good things. But she's really not supposed to be a businesswoman out there in the world having to make a living for you. You are to make a living for her and provide for those children. If you're a man and you're a young man and you're thinking about getting married and you're going with a girl and you do not have a job and are not making a living, if you're a young woman... And a young man approaches you and starts asking you to go on a date. And if you begin to think about getting serious with this guy, you need to ask him. The first thing you need to ask him, girls, when he asks you for the date the first time, if you're a Christian woman, you need to ask this man before you ever go on a date with him, are you a born-again, spirit-filled Christian that goes to church and tithes? If you don't do that, you tell him, I'm not interested in you. I don't, I'm not interested. You get out of my life and don't be hesitant when you tell him. Because I'm going to tell you that if he's not that, he's not the man God has for you. He may be the star quarterback at the college football team. He may be Don Juan, if you want to say. And a lot of girls may think, oh, I would just swoon if he just asked me for a date. Well, let me tell you what. If that boy is not a spirit-filled Christian going to church and tithing, he's not going to be the man that God wants you to have. God clearly told you, ladies, in His Word, that you are not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer. And let me tell you, there's only one kind of man that knows how to love a woman. And that is a born-again, spirit-filled Christian man. The rest of you... That are out there don't have a clue how to love a woman. I didn't realize how bad it was even in the world until I became a pastor. And then I really didn't realize how bad it is in the church. 
But in the last four years, I have learned what's going on in the church. And I'm telling you, it's a sad state of affairs. And the state of affairs that's going on in the church is because men don't know the Word of God and don't know what they're doing. I had a woman in the ministry center within the last two weeks that came with her daughter and her grandson. And this woman had serious pains in her side. When I began to talk to her, I began to go back in her life, found out when she became a Christian, and that she did go to church some, but her daddy was a deacon in a church. And when she got to be a grown woman, she somebody introduced her to the occult world through tarot card reading. Well, she didn't know anything about this. She was a traditional denominational person that they didn't teach them all these things and of course like most Christians she didn't read the word of God very much so she didn't know and so she goes to her deacon daddy and says dad uh, you know I'm being led to do tarot card reading for a living for people is it okay and he said well if it's doing good for people it must be okay so you can go ahead and do it do you reckon that woman got some bad counsel from a deacon in a church? She got some terrible counsel. Terrible counsel. Because the deacon in the church didn't know how to run the church. He didn't even know how to run his own life, so he certainly didn't need to be on the board of deacons trying to run a church. I've come to realize that most deacons, most boards, and most churches can't run their own lives, much less the church. I'm beginning to understand that so many pastors today, I don't know how they're trying to direct the flock when they can't live their own life. Amen. You know, there's something wrong with this picture. Either we don't know this book, we're not willing to yield to this book, to the Word of God, and do what it says. And that's why that is the major region I believe that I've been in a church nearly all of my life and in the church and the denominations I was in, I never saw a healing or a miracle in one of those churches. And I've been a member of some big churches and some little ones. But there was absolutely zero power in our church. People didn't come down the aisle to be prayed for. I mean, I've been a member of churches that had two and 3,000 people. On a Sunday morning when the invitation was given, if one or two people came down... They come down for salvation. They didn't come down for anything else. Nobody ever come down for prayer, for healing, or to put their families back together. They, we had church and we went home. And I never saw anything happen in the church. And here we are, supposedly an organization that the head of the church is supposed to be the king of the universe. And his name is Jesus. And if he's not moving in that church, and you're not seeing people's lives changed, people saved, healed, and delivered, i got a feeling Jesus is not in that church. So if he's not in that church, why is he not in that church? Well, there's not any love in that church. And that love starts with the men. The men. Guys, we are the culprit. We are our, we are our own worst enemy. Men. I think about this week, you know, as I went over, stopped at Walmart the other afternoon to get a couple little things I needed, and I come running in there to get them. Actually, I went in to get some milk and stuff for sure, and I love hot tea. 
we even in the summertime, we drink hot tea. And we love it with half and half in it. And so we were out, so I stopped by on the way home right there to get us a couple of little containers of half and half. And when I walked in to get the half and half, I looked and there was all kinds of little flowers. So I bought her a little bouquet of roses, you know. And I brought it, you know, in when I came in, you know. I put the bouquet behind me, you know, like this, you know, like a teenage boy would. And I walked back where she's working like a little horse back there on the printers and all the stuff. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, I got something for my honey bunny. And I come up here and I held the flowers up. Do you think that pleased her? Yes, yes it certainly did. You know, uh, we, she embraced me and helped me tie it and told me how much she loves me and everything. Then we went up to the front and she put them in a little vase. And we talked a little while. And I sat there and held her and put my arms around her and told her how much I loved her and, and all those things. And, and then today, it's amazing that one of the families here was coming to church this morning and the wife said, you know, we need to stop by the store and get Cheryl a bouquet of roses. And so they did. They stopped by and came in and brought her a bouquet of roses. So, wow, she got two bouquets of roses this week. You know, one from a family in this church and one from me. If you walk in love, God's going to bless you. And... It's the men that are going to be the ones that's going to start this love affair with their wives. Too many men today that I know that are in the church don't have a clue what love is. Now, they know what lust is, and they know what pride of life is, but they don't know what love is. They really don't know. And that's why we've got so many divorces in the church. So, I'm going to read you something. Also here from Galatians, uh, chapter 5, and I'm going to start with verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to do what? Love. love. Who is your neighbor? The man asked that question. Lord, who is my neighbor? What if you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, your wife technically is one of your neighbors. Only she's the closest neighbor you got. You can't get one closer than your wife. So, the law is fulfilled in one word, love. I am completely convinced that the men today in the church have absolutely no knowledge of what the word love means. None. Look at verse 15. But, if... The two biggest words in the whole Bible. But and if. One right after the other. But if ye bite and devour one another. I know none of y'all know anybody in the church that's ever bit or devoured one another. Because as Christians, we just don't do those kind of things, do we? Unfortunately, we do. That's what's wrong with us. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed. 
that you be not consumed or destroyed one of another. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed. This is a word from God. Take heed that you be not destroyed one of another. Man, many of you will walk up this morning and say, I want to be destroyed today. But your wife says something you don't like and you say, You old woman, what do you think you are anyway? And some of you will even stoop to the point, and this is where I could become violent. There's really only one place, and I have never hit a man in my life. I know Jesus never hit a man. But if I was to walk into a home and a man was beating his wife with his fist, I'm going to tell you, if that man picked up and he hit his wife in the face, I'm going to tell you, you're looking at a man that could become violent. I'm going to tell you the audacity of a man. That man is not a man. That's a demon. If a man can reach up and hit a woman that he loves, that he lives with, that he's married to, that's produced children. If that man can hit that woman, that man's got a demon in him and he needs to get deliverance. He needs to seek God. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, if you ever was to hit your wife in front of me, I ain't never hit a man in my life, but I tell you, I'd break you in two if I was there. And I wouldn't lose the wall either because I wouldn't do it by fist. I'd pick up a two before or a piano and I'd hit you over the head with it. I'm serious. A man. A man that would hit a woman. He ain't a man. He's not a man. And then you say you love God. And you do something like that to you, the woman in your life that supposedly your love, that you loved and supposedly God told you to cherish her and love her and honor her and protect her. And here you are. Well, you don't know what she did to me. Hey, it don't make no difference what she did to her. You, when, they, when they reached out with a cat of nine tails and hit Jesus across the back on a naked back, did he retaliate? No. Not at all. Now, you're going to tell me you're better than Jesus? You're going to tell me that you're better than Jesus? Jesus took your stripes. They beat him beyond recognition until they couldn't even find out who he was. Couldn't even tell he was a human being. And he done it for you and for me. And he didn't even retaliate. And we're supposed to be the church. And you confess to be a Christian. I think God's got something to say to you. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not destroyed. Well, if you want to be destroyed, go right ahead and do it. If you want to be destroyed, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be afflicted. I want to be a man that walks in divine health. And I want to be a man that God answers my prayer when I pray. And he says, if you do not love your wife, I will not answer your prayer. 
So any man that will not love his wife, ain't no use in him praying, because God ain't going to hear your prayer. That's another reason. You know why? When people come to church and pray and God don't answer, because he knew what you did at home. He knew the fight you had on the way down here today to church. Isn't that amazing? God knows everything. And I guarantee He says you will be destroyed if you do these things. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what our worst enemy is? It's not the devil. Our worst enemy is the flesh. But you mix the devil with the flesh and you've got a real pair. Both of them are just wicked as they can be. I mean they're wicked. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So it depends on who you let take control of you. Let's put it this way. I heard an old Indian say one time, there's two dogs in me. A black one and a white one. And they're constantly fighting. And the guy said, well, which one of them wins? He said, the one I feed the most. <laughs> so let me put it to you like this. If you feed the white dog, the Word of God, the Spirit, you study it, you read it, you pound it into your day and night, and you don't go to no wicked movies, you don't look at no pornography, you don't look at no serious catalogs, no women's apparel magazines, because that's pornography. Hardcore pornography. I'm telling you, ladies. You get a woman's apparel magazine today, don't leave nothing to your imagination. The scanty little things that I, I saw one come to my mailbox the other day, and I'm flipping through that thing, and I thought, good grief, who needs a, who needs a book of pornography? I got one right here from the women's apparel store. I mean, it was women scantily dressed with little negligees and panties that you could see plumb through. Didn't leave nothing to your imagination. They might as well put nude women in that book. Now then, if you feed yourself the trash of the world, you listen to the trash music, all somebody done somebody wrong songs all the time, country and western stuff, you know them good things that really edify the brother. I mean, if you listen to that junk, you know, that's, that's what you're going to do. You're going to become like that. You're going to become like whatever you feed into yourself. Isn't that amazing? You know, the church is not supposed to have anything to do with the world. We're supposed to walk with God. We're supposed to be holy before God. Does people make mistakes? Yes, they make mistakes. What's the first thing we're supposed to do as Christians when we realize we've made a mistake? Forgive. Repent. Forgive. You know, when you get this, I, I heard a, a man this morning, I was watching TV on TVN a little while earlier this morning, and heard a pastor of a big church in Tennessee talking a little bit about unforgiveness. And he was talking about how many people there he knew had unforgiveness one toward another. And I thought, you know, if I were to walk into that church and teach them from God's Word, that not only are they going to be sick and afflicted because of their unforgiveness, but their wife's going to be sick and afflicted by unforgiveness, and their children are going to be sick and afflicted, 
and maybe their sons and daughters are going to go wrong and get involved in sex and everything else because of their unforgiveness, and it's going to affect their banks account and everything. And then when they die on this earth, they get to die and go to hell, even though they're washed in the blood of Jesus. It'd make it a whole lot easier for you to forgive. And then somebody said, well, I wouldn't even forgive then. I think about the man and woman that stood right there one night. And I said, what can I pray for you too far? And she said, I've got a pain in my heart. My chest feels like I'm having a heart attack. It's been bothering me for several weeks. I said, do you have all your sins repented of? She said, I think so. I said, ma'am, thinking so, don't get it. You've got to know so. So she looked up at me and said, okay, I know so. Now I told her, I said, I, I sensed what was in her voice. And I said, ma'am, you can tell me anything, but I'm not the judge. God is, and he knows your heart. I said, sir, how about you? He said, oh yeah, this is my wife's first visit here. I brought her with me today, but I've been here five or six times, and I knew the first question you were going to ask. So he said, I got all my sins repented up right after I started coming. I realized the consequences of sin. He said, I've got all mine taken care of. I said, okay, then I will pray for you. And I reached up and put my hands on her shoulders. The minute I touched this woman, now this is a man and a wife, I touched her shoulders and the Holy Spirit knocked me off her like I'd been shocked with a 440 impact. I mean, bam, I jumped back and when I, when I was knocked back, it startled me. I mean, it's like you'd reach up and touch an electric socket. I mean, just bam, I recall. And I heard very clear, unforgiveness. I said, ma'am, I said, you got unforgiveness against someone, don't you? She said, yes. I said, who is he? She said, my husband. I said, well, ma'am, you know you got to forgive him. No, I am never going to forgive him for what he did to me. I said, ma'am, let me make it a little easier for you. I said, you're having the heart problem because of your unforgiveness. And I said, did you know that if you die in that unforgiveness, your next waking second will be in hell? I said, is what your husband done worth you spending eternity in the flames of fire? She said, of course not. I said, then forgive him. And she turned and looked at him and she said, I didn't know I was going to have to spend eternity in hell if I didn't forgive you. But let's put it like this. Jesus clearly said, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, I will not forgive you. How many of you know he made that statement? And if Jesus made that statement, you think he's going to let you in his heaven if he don't forgive you for your sins? I'm going to guarantee he ain't going to let you in. But Lord, you don't know what he did to me. It don't make no difference what he did to you, the Lord says. I paid the price for all of you, and I forgave you for your wicked sins, and I forgave him. He forgave you, didn't. So, out of here into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing and teeth, into the eternal flames of hell, you go forever. She said, my goodness, I will forgive him. And she turned to him and said, honey, will you forgive me? He said, yes, absolutely. And immediately when she said that, the Lord spoke to me again. He said, son, tell my daughter, since she's done what I said, I have already healed her and her pain is gone. And I waited till her and her husband were kind of reconciled there a moment. And I, I said, ma'am, the Lord just spoke to me. And he just told me, since you had repented, he has already healed your heart. Your pain is gone. And she took a deep breath and 
another deep breath, and then she fell on her husband's chest crying. She said, he's right. There's no pain left. Now, just think. Because of her unforgiveness, a tormenting spirit had been sent in her chest to torment her, and she's in pain and suffering. He's trying to get her attention, and she's not willing to yield even to the pain of maybe having a heart attack. And then she has no idea that if she dies in that, she's going to bust hell wide open and spend eternity in hell. Somebody said, Jesus wouldn't do me like that. Let me tell you, he said it in the Word. He said it in the Word. Is there anything anybody can do to you on this earth worth dying and going to hell for? If you think there is, when you go home from here today, you go into your house, and if you've got an electric stove or a gas stove, you turn it on and wait till the burner's either red or the flame's burning. And you set your clock there, and you set it on five seconds, and you push the button and let five seconds start running down. Even give it a couple of seconds to make sure you're well into it. Then stick your finger over in that fire and hold it till the alarm goes off. Let's see if you're ready. I don't think you'll be ready. It's amazing how God told us all the laws fulfilled in one word. Love. Because that's God's attributes, love. And he's clear. He tells us what happens. He says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led of the Spirit, you're walking in love. So you're not under the law. So look what happens. Now the works of the flesh are made known or manifest. This is what they are. This is how you can tell where you're living. You can tell if you're loving your wife and walking in love, or you're loving the devil and walking in hell. This is how you can tell. But if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest or made known or plain, which are these. Adultery, fornication, sex out of wedlock, uncleanliness. One of these days, I'm going to do a teaching on that word. And I'm going to do that. I don't know whether I'm going to do that in a men's group or a men and women group. Or maybe just before the whole church. You have no idea what God has revealed to me, what that word means. But I'm going to tell you one of these days, and it's going to blow some of you married men and women away, what you do, and some of you do it in the confines of your own bedroom, in your own marriage, in your own marriage bed, and you're going to find out you're inviting unclean spirits into your life when you do it. Uncleanliness. In other words, if you do something and you don't feel like it brings honor and glory to God and you couldn't do it with Jesus standing there watching you, you better not do it. Let's put it that way. Because when you go to bed with your wife, if both of you are born again Christians, who do you go to bed with? Jesus. He's there. When I walk up to Cheryl, if I'm nice to her and I'm talking to her, she's a daughter of the king. If I talk to her kind and lovingly, who am I talking to? Jesus. When I kiss her ever so gently, whether it be on the cheek or on the lips or on the neck, 
If I kiss her gently, who am I kissing? Jesus. So you better do it the right way. Do anything that God's Word says that He'll honor. Don't get into unclean things. It will bring forth unclean demons into your life. And it will bring all kinds of sickness and disease to your flesh. Lasciviousness or just every kind of wickedness you can imagine. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Variance. Emulations or jealousies. Wrath. Anger. Strife. Seditions. Heresies. Envyings. Murders. Drunkenness. Revelings. We'll do a study on that one day too. And such like of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they or people which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom of God? It's in the third heaven. Where is the kingdom of heaven? It's in you. Right now you're living in the kingdom of heaven. It's here on earth. It's in you. But the kingdom of God is in the third heaven. And that's going to be, hopefully, our final dwelling place. Hopefully. Do you think it's possible to be a member of the kingdom of heaven on earth and not get to the kingdom of God when you die? Yes. I know that is a subject that's very controversial. But you can be a member of the kingdom of heaven, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And one of the things you do... You live in sin of unforgiveness, and you can still be a member of the kingdom of heaven on earth when you die. He's not going to let you in the kingdom of God. Because you were not forgiven because you didn't forgive. And some of these other things right here that people say, people say, I am a Christian. But you see them at the beer halls. You see them come home drunk. You see them cussing with the best down at the place where they work. They come to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm okay. Or maybe they don't go to church at all. Maybe they said they'd become a Christian when it was 11. They take God's name in vain all the time. Live like the devil. But yet they were a good man. They took care of their wife pretty well. Provided a house for her. A car. Had two or three or four pretty good children. Maybe the children even went to church with mother. But daddy, he's too busy. I hear this all the time. I've heard this thousands of times in my life. As I talk to men at work. Oh yeah, my wife goes to church, but I ain't got time. I have to work on Sunday. And whenever their wife's at church, they may be running around with another woman. Or thinking about having sex with another woman. Or some real pretty girl walks by at work, you know, and they think, Ooh, look at her. Wow. Ooh, wow, look at that. And you say, well, I, I thought you was a married man. Well, I am. Well, then what are you looking at her for? Well, I just think about, mm, that would, ooh, that, well, that's, that'd be pretty nice, huh? I said, you're committing adultery. You're thinking about going to bed with that woman. Think about having sex with that woman. If you're a Christian, you're guilty of adultery and there's no eternal life in you. You've been deceived. You need to straighten your act up. 
had a man walk in my office one day, and we'd done business. We got through with the business. Then I started talking to him about kingdom things. And, of course, he was a little uneasy, as a many a man in my office has been. <laughs> many a man in my office has been very uneasy. I have a way about making men very uneasy when I present the Word of God to them. That's okay. What I say comes out of this book. So I'm not ashamed of what comes out of this book. It's God's mighty Word. I'd rather make them uneasy now and they change and repent of their stupid ways instead of wait till they get to heaven one day and I'm standing there at, with Jesus at the great white throne and they're sitting there looking at God and said, Thurman, I was in your office. You knew the truth and you didn't tell me. Now I'm fixing to be judged and I'm going to be cast into the lake of fire forever. I'd hold what rather them say, you know, I was in your office. Three times I was in your office. You talked to me about Jesus and I totally refused. Now I realize what you told me was 100% right on. So I can't say you didn't tell me. I'd hold up rather hear that, hadn't you, Johnny? Amen. I'd hold up rather hear that. You may not want to hear what I have to say now, but you'll be very glad you listened. Amen. You'll be very glad you listened because this book is the, going to be the judge of your entire life. This book is God. Right. He says, Those people that live like this and do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Was he clear, Bobby? He was clear. You think, well, but I'm a Christian. I'm washed in the blood. I can lie a little here. I can go out and get drunk ever just once a week. I mean, you know, I can do bad things. I can not provide for my family. I can go do all these things and that's okay. I can repent on Saturday night and God understands. I'm going to tell you, that's not true. That's not true. That's the devil lying to you. Now, I'm going to, I, I, I guess I should ask this question. I am going to ask it, but I started to say I want you to hold your hand up, but I'm not going to ask you to do that because I know the answer. How many of you people in here, beyond a shadow of a doubt, just think about this, you want your final resting place to be in heaven? Wow. You see where I'm coming from? That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, do you? Every one of us want our final resting place to be in heaven. Well... You're going to be judged according to this book. And there's going to be no exceptions. I can remember a book I read about a person that went to, had, had a, I don't know what it was, a vision, a dream, or whatever. They said it was a real event that Jesus came one night and took them to hell. And this person that had this revelation... And I know there's several books out there people say they've had this experience. And since I've had tremendous experiences with the Lord myself, I am here to say I know He can do these things. So, the things that I read in these books says when these people would be in hell or walking through the corridors of hell, there would be one of the, some of the stories. But here's a woman said I could tell she was a beautiful woman. And she's in agony and pain and suffering. And when Jesus walked by, she said, Lord, Lord, Jesus, forgive me another chance. Lord, I'll do, any, I'll do everything you say. Now give me another chance. And he would stop. You've got to think about the compassion. Jesus would stop. And he would look at this woman that he died for on the cross. And she's begging him. 
She's in pain and suffering. Demons are tormenting her. The worms are eating the flesh off of her body and throwing off, regurgitating. It's coming back on her body. And she's screaming, please give me another chance. And he says, Father, please. And the father speaks and says, judgment has been set. It's done. Even Jesus wants to forgive them at this point. But the father says, no. They had their chance on earth, and they didn't do what I told them to do. So there's no second chance. Or a preacher, being a man laying in a casket, being tormented with demons come running and sticking spears through him, and he's screaming. And he says, Lord, what? who is this guy? He says, one of my preachers that was on earth. Lord, if he was one of your preachers... Why is he here? He said, thousands came to know me through his ministry. Thousands. But he refused to teach all of my word. Because he refused and I revealed myself to him. And he just told me, I will not preach those things. I'm not comfortable with those things. He said he was more afraid of men than he was me. So he sealed his fate. And he's begging And Jesus said, Father. He said, no. He made his decisions on earth. It's over. Can you imagine as Jesus walks through the portals of hell? Which he does. In the spirit he can walk through. And can you imagine when he looks and sees a man or a woman in torment that he died for on earth. And here they were supposedly had accepted him as Lord and Savior. But they refused to do what he said. They thought they were okay. They didn't do what he said. So they really, really may never have known him. They thought they did. But they produced all of these fruits. All of these fruits. Do you know anybody in the church that produces these kind of fruits? That's just like the mercy of God when Cheryl's dad died. He was not a spirit man at all. He didn't go to church. But in the last couple, two or three years, she's gotten much, much closer to God. She's learned a lot of things. And then when her dad had that aneurysm or stroke, whatever it was, that killed him, she was in agony on the side of his bed because she knew her daddy didn't go to church. She knew her daddy had taken God's name in vain many times. She had heard it. So she was in agony thinking about her daddy might spend eternity in hell. You, you could be in agony, couldn't you, Dad? You could be in agony thinking about that. So she's asking the Lord, Lord, please, Lord, show me something I've got to know. And then I come in and sat down and I virtually didn't know her dad. I had one little bitty short conversation with him. Uh, whenever we told them we were going to get married and then he led her down this aisle and gave her to me and I never said a word to him that day. I didn't know the man. Didn't know anything about him. God brought me and her together in such short notice I didn't have time to learn anything about the family. But that day I'm sitting beside that bed. I walk in and as I kneel there beside the bed and Cheryl said, can we pray for my daddy? I said, sure, honey. And so I started praying. And as I started praying, I began to see something. I began to see her daddy falling backwards into the pit of hell. 
can I, I, I mean, I don't care who he is. I'm a man that knows and loves God, so I begin to cry out, Lord. I said, I called on him and said, just call on the name of Jesus. Now, he's falling literally backwards with his arms out like this into the blackness of hell. And tears are gushing out of my eyes like a water faucet. I didn't cry like that when my own wife and daughter got killed. You know why I didn't? Because I knew where they went. And if I had got to see them, there would have been no tears of sadness. I'd have seen them busting into the portals of eternity into a living God walking on streets of gold with Jesus there welcoming them in. I knew who they served and who they loved. So there was no fear in my heart. But I saw her daddy, a man I didn't know, falling into hell. Do you want anybody to go to hell? No! So I'm calling out, Lord, Lord, be merciful. And I'm calling, call on the name of Jesus. Cheryl will have a clue what's going on. She's hearing all this. I got my eyes closed. And then all of a sudden, I said, call on the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, Howard said, Jesus. And right before my very eyes, I saw a beam of light from heaven come down and illuminate him and drew him into that beam of light and he disappeared out of my sight. And I said, oh God, this is awesome. She said, what did you see? I told her what I saw. I said, I have no idea why God gave me that vision. She said, I've been praying and asking the Lord to show me whether my daddy was going to make it or not. And if she hadn't prayed that prayer of faith for her daddy at the last second, you know where daddy would be today? He'd be in hell. He was that close. Do you want to go to that place? No. No. Nobody in their right mind wants to go to that place. But just look at what the king said there. If you do these things. He's talking about a Christian. If you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. That if you do all these things that he talked about there, he clearly says there that you shall not inherit the kingdom of God in the third heaven. If you're a man or a woman, and these kind of things are happening to you, and you're walking in the devil's world, I'm going to tell you you're going to be sick and afflicted and tormented on this earth. I mean, you're, going to, you're not going to be able to prosper you're not going to be able to see God do great things. You're not going to be blessed. Your children's not going to be blessed. Your wife's not going to be blessed. There's going to be destruction and devouring and backbiting and everything else in your home. And there's going to be no peace in your home. And you know whose fault it is? The man. 150% of the time, it's the man. When I was in the Air Force, a guy... I mean, I, was, I thought I was the best race car driver there was in the country when I was a kid. I mean, I could drive race cars. I could do things. I, you know, today I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream about doing some of the stupid things I did. I mean, I think about getting on a motorcycle 100 miles an hour on a dirt road with a headlight and a road I've never been on, you know, for a stupid little trophy. You know, win first place. Laid that thing down, slide across him. I thought, this kid didn't have a brain. If he had, he'd have took it out and played with it. That's the way some of us are as men. I was one of those. You know, I was stupid. I did a lot of stupid things. 
But I think about those kind of things and where we go as men. We don't know what love is. We don't know how to walk with God. We do all kinds of things wrong. But when you walk in love and you begin to understand what's going on on earth, you change. You change. I don't know about you, but I didn't want to die and go to hell. Do you, Bobby? No, you want at least when we die, we want to at least go to heaven, right? We don't want to be tormented by the devil. We don't want to be made sick. We don't want to be beat up on. Everybody in the world that I ever know dreads a day of sickness and disease coming to your life. Well, let me tell you, this is what so many people think. That's okay. This body belongs to me. I can do anything I want to with it. It ain't going to affect nobody but me. Let me tell you how big of a lie that is. Let's put it like this. Let's say, for instance, that and there's cases like this happen every day today. In fact, I, I read an article the other day, and I've heard people make these statements, and I don't know how true they are, but somewhere between one out of every ten and one out of every fifteen people, especially males in the United States of America, is afflicted with AIDS. One, say it's on the high side, one out of 20. How many people do you come in contact with every day? Let me tell you. Knowing those things, and listening to Dr. James Dawson talk about the venereal diseases that's out there, that's when my wife died in that car wreck with my daughter two, in 19, um, 2001. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I will never date a woman, and I'll never get married again unless you tell me the woman. You know Why? That's one of the things that I had a fear of. If I went out and looked for my own wife, although she might have been in church, I didn't know but what she might have been, con have been with a man that had AIDS. Now, I'm a man of faith. But I am not going to, go to, not going to marry a woman and go to bed with her until I know God sent that woman to me. With what's going on out there today? <laughs> Give me a break. I'm going to tell you, and there's men out there looking for women to go to bed with, and I'm going to tell you, if you were to, if I was a single man that didn't have a wife, and I hadn't been to bed with a woman in ten years, and you were to run a hundred of the most beautiful women in the country in here, every one of them stark naked, and say you can have any one of them you want, and we got a doctor's report saying ain't not one single one of them got nothing medically wrong with them, I'd say get them out of here. I don't want nothing to do with none of them. Because you can have one that's been tested and you go to bed with her and since you're breaking God's rules, that devil can put AIDS on her and you both right there and you both got it. Where do you think it comes from? A demon of hell. He can put a venereal disease on you. Isn't it amazing that man and a woman can be married and love each other and they can, when they're young, they can have sex as much as they want sex. They can enjoy their sexual relationship with each other all of their life and they can live to be 80 or 90 years old, still be having sex as much as they want to when they get old and never have a venereal disease and never have to worry about it. It's not having sex that brings venereal disease. It's having sex out of wedlock that brings venereal disease. I mean, I think about when I went to Vietnam years ago. The Surgeon General come down there before he they let any man off that base. 
We were one of the first waves that went in in the Vietnam War. They said, men, don't you dare go to town to where these women are down here. These prostitutes, they all got one to three venereal diseases, and most of them, we don't have a clue how to cure them. So don't go down there. And they say, don't take a condom and think it's going to do any good. Because when you go to bed with them, the material the condom is made out of, the diseases they have, goes right through the holes in a condom like it's not even there. So there's no nothing to use as a protection. Somebody said, well, we'll hand out condoms at school. The kids are going to be okay. No. That will not protect you. Somebody says, we need to spend another $400 million to find the cure for AIDS. I got it. I got the, you know, I won't cost you a dime. I can tell you it's in this book. Stop sinning. Stop having sex out of wedlock and I guarantee AIDS will go away. But if you're a man in the church and you look at another woman and lust for her in your heart, you're just as guilty as that guy with AIDS was as far as God's concerned. If you're backbiting and snapping at your wife, you're just as guilty. And what did he say is going to happen to you and your family? You're going to be destroyed. You want your family destroyed? You want your wife destroyed? No, that's not God's way. That's the devil's way. And you're going to yield to one of those two. And in the process, people come to me all the time for healing school, sick and afflicted and tormented, wife and children... Because of, usually, daddy's sin. When daddy straightens his act up and starts flying right, I have never in my life seen a woman that wouldn't love her husband. Now then, when I say 150%, I think about when I was young and I was that good driver and all the things. I thought I was the best in the world. When I was in the Air Force, a guy done a check, test on us. He says, what percentage of the time must you pay attention to be a good driver? I thought, oh, 50% of the time. Boy, was I stupid. You know what he said? He said, you have to pay attention 100% of the time. I said, no, I can drive great without looking lots of time. He said, sure. Sat down in that machine. Okay. I sat down in the machine. He said, now then... I'm going to pop something out there and you stop. You're going 40 miles an hour. So, man, I'm looking right at it. The little thing pops up. I stop. No problem. I don't run over it. He said, okay. Get her back up to 40 miles an hour and start over. He said, now, look out the window. See what's out there. And I look over there. Bam! I run over something. He said, I said, you cheated me. He said, no. You looked out the window and something jumped out in front of you. He said, you weren't paying attention. So, I said, really, then I guess I need to pay attention 100% of the time. He said, no. 150%. Wow. That pretty well covers it, doesn't it, Benjamin? How many of you know, just like me and Cheryl, we're driving down the road this morning. She says, I turned to look at her and I veered over another one. She said, honey, you pay attention. You drive, I'll talk. <laughs> See, when I try to even talk and look over it, I veer off the lane sometimes. I know none of y'all ever done this besides me. None of you have ever been guilty of doing these kind of things. Stupid, have you? Yes, you have. You're just like me. You have to pay attention when you're driving 150% of the time. Well, if you think it takes 150% of your time to pay attention when you're driving your car to get from A to B without 
being in damage, what percentage of your time does it take to pay attention to the Word of God? And if you're a husband, to love your wife. You have to love her 20% of the time. Is that okay? That ain't good enough, is it, young lady? That husband, he wants a... She wants a husband that loves her all the time. All the time. Now then, God tells you what to do. Then he says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You notice that? The very first word is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now what did he say up the top? All the laws fulfilled in even this one word? What is the word? Love. Love. So as Christians, if we say we're Christians, and we don't walk in love, God says you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. Oh, but I love my wife. Oh, you do? When's the last time you brought your wife flowers? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. When's the last time you told your wife you loved her? If you were the wife, when's the last time you went up to your husband? If he hadn't told you in a while, you be the initiator. That's not the way it's supposed to be. The man is supposed to be the initiator. He's supposed to tell her he loves her. He's supposed to tell her how much he appreciates her. He is the spiritual leader of the home. The man is supposed to be the one that tells his wife, I love you. And then, of course, she will tell you that she loves you. But you're to be the initiator because God is going to hold every man accountable not only for his wife's spiritual growth, but for all of his children's spiritual growth. You know, the very first time God spoke to me, He spoke to me when I was reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And this is what His words were. Son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. And what were those two verses? It was telling me what I'm supposed to do if I want my children to walk with God. He didn't tell my wife. He told me. And I've now learned... God don't make deals with women. He makes deals with men. He tells men, and this is the deal. He's going to make a deal with us, guys. He says, men, love your wives. And he then goes into detail. You love them like I love the church, and I was willing even to give my life for the church. If you love your wife like that, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and was willing to give himself for her. Next time when your wife calls and said, honey, I really need you to come to town and take me somewhere or come home and get me and take me somewhere. But but I'm busy. I don't have time. But this is very, very important. I have to be somewhere in 30 minutes and my car is not running. And for some reason, would you please come home and get me? Now, if you love that woman like Christ loved the church, what are you going to do? Argue with her, fuss with her? You're going to say, I'll be right there, honey. You see where I'm coming from? You go home, you get her. And then you don't jump all over. Well, why did you have to call me? And then she could say, well, because you didn't take care of my car and provide good for me. So I had a nice car to drive. If you had, I wouldn't have had to call you. But see, that's not where we're supposed to go, is it? That's not the way we're supposed to live. Love like Christ loved the church 
and was willing to give his life for his wife, for the church. If you love like that, guess how many sickness and disease you'll have in your family? None. None. That's exactly right. None. There'll be no strife, no backbiting. None of those kind of things will happen in your family. You know when the children of Israel didn't do what God told them to do? When the men went out and done things, he said, you know, because you didn't do these things, now then, I'm going to send another nation in, and they're going to take your children, your wives, they're going to rape your wives, and they're going to kill your children, and going to put your children in bondage because of your stupidity. He was talking to the men, wasn't he? Is that worth disobeying God, to have your children and your wife suffer those kind of things? I don't think so, guys. Because if your wife and children are going to have to suffer like that, you think God's going to let you off? Absolutely not. You don't know how many times I've dealt with men that absolutely refuse to do what God says, and I saw those men die with a brain tumor or something in agony and pain, and there was nothing in this world I could do to get them healed. But I think about the mercy of God. I think about the young men. I was living with a woman out of wedlock. He broke his back. And he called a man of faith. And the man came out and prayed to pray faith for him. God healed him. Living with a woman out of wedlock. Twenty years old. Now if I'd have been God, I'd have just went ahead and killed him, Bobby. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have healed him, that's for sure. But that's why he's God and he's merciful and I'm not. I tried to be merciful. But, you know, when I know somebody's living in blatant sin, I just, I just can't hardly go there with you. i just got to tell you, hey, guys, this time we straighten our act up. But this boy, God, in His mercy, healed him. And then this young man, he, after he got healed and realized that a man of faith prayed over him and he got healed, he wanted to walk with God. He tried, and he do good for a week or two or three, and then he'd fall back into sin, and then he'd do something wrong or whatever, and then he'd get back in right with God, and he'd go to church a week or two, and then he'd get out for several weeks, and his whole life for the next 20 years was just like that. He'd go out and get drunk once in a while. Never would totally give his life to the Lord. At 40 years old, he's back on his deathbed. I mean, I know everybody's ready to die at 40, you know, so that's okay. He'd had 20 years of hell on earth. I mean, 20 years of torment. And now he's sick and afflicted and on his deathbed. And he calls this same pastor that he hadn't seen in 20 years, but he's the one who come prayed to prayer of faith for him. He asked him to come back over and pray for him again so he can get healed. On the way over there, the pastor's on the way over there to pray for him. And the Lord speaks to him. He said, when you go over there, don't you pray for John's healing. He turns and says, Lord, Lord, is that you? You told me to pray for the sick. He said, I know I did. But he said, John has committed the sin unto death. He said, that boy, you, I healed him 20 years ago when you prayed for him when he was living in fornication with that woman. But he said, he's never lived right more than two or three or four weeks at a time in the last 20 years. He said, my grace has run out. I'm going to bring him home. He's going to die. And he did. And he did. How would you like to die? And although, let's say that you hadn't done enough things that you still were washed in the blood, you had no unforgiveness, and how would you like to stand before the king when he says, I had to see that you died at 40. I really had an 80 years plan for you. 
you're supposed to have been serving me, but since you lived in sin all those years, now then, you're a vessel of wood, hay, and stubble, and you're definitely not a vessel of honor. How was your life with a king? To say, because of my blood, you're saved as by fire. You can come in, but you're not going to get a single reward. You were a vessel of wood, hay, and stubble. How would you like someday, a million years from now, and you're running around heaven, and somebody comes and says, Hey, brother, praise God. Hey, how long have you been here? Well, I don't know, a long time. What were you doing? What caused you to... How old were you got here? Well, I died at 40. At 40? The Lord promised us a long life. How come you died at 40? Well, I was living with a woman out of wedlock. I knew it was wrong, so I, I died. And I didn't get a single reward. You'll know these things. You won't forget those things when you die and go to heaven. You'll know. Isn't that amazing? I think for the first few years in heaven, there's going to be lots of tears. Because we're going to really begin to understand as we read and study the Word of God. For those of you that don't read and study the Word of God now, the first couple of thousand years in heaven, that you're going to be in the best Bible study class you've ever been in. Paul probably would be teaching one of those classes. Isn't that amazing? You're going to learn the Word of God. You're going to learn it. One way or other, you're going to learn it. Because this book is going to be the law book that we're going to reign and rule out of forever. You will learn this book. And you will learn to do what this book says. You will walk in obedience to this book as children of God. Now then, on this earth, I used to wonder, why is it that so many people in the church that have all the problems they have? Is there anything we can do about this? You know, I really, really had questions. I'm in church. I read this book. When I read this book, it looks to me like the devil's defeated. It looks to me like Jesus healed us on the cross. If all these things are true, then why in the world do men and women and children have so many problems on this earth? Until one day it became a revelation to me that Satan is the executive department that was defeated by our king 2,000 years ago. And now that he's sitting there and the Lord has given him a rope of so long of what he can do. And he can go to torment certain people on this earth or put certain people to the test, trials and tests, because he's developing you and me into a group of overcomers. But when you and me sin, he literally sends demons of torment to you to torment you. And those demons of hell is what puts sickness and disease and what makes your children think wrong, makes them go wrong, makes them get on drugs, alcohol, and everything else because of your stupid sins. When you get a hold of that, when that becomes a revelation to you, if that won't straighten you up as a man, if that will not straighten you up thinking that these children that you brought into the world is going to suffer the devastating things of hell on this earth because of your sin, if that won't straighten you up and make you become an awesome man of God and walk holy before God, all I can say, there is no hope for you. If you don't care what happens to your children, if you don't care what happens to your grandchildren, if you can be that kind of a man, all I got to say is, you don't want to hear what I got to say. You don't want to hear it. Because Jesus is going to take care of you.
The Lord clearly tells you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Love. Love. When he says, husbands, love your wives. But he tells us to walk in love to all people. He tells us we are to live with our wives according to knowledge. The problem is most men never, either never let their wife know them or they never learn anything about women. They don't know what makes a woman feel good. They don't ask their women things. And when God says, pray over everything with thanksgiving, what do you think that means? What does it mean, Carol, when he says, pray over everything? What does that include? Everything. That don't leave out nothing, does it? If God says, pray over everything, let me ask you this question. Today I'm going to be very intimate with some of you since we're talking about husbands and wives. How many of you men, and don't hold your hand up, but think about this foolishness of this question. How many of you men, when you married your wife, ever went to bed with your wife and had sex with her? I would hope every one of you did. But let me ask you this question. How many of you, before you have sex with your wife, you pray over it? How many of you ask God to bless what you're going to do? How many of you ask God to let you have the knowledge and the wisdom you need of your wife to bring her to a point where she can be fulfilled in your sexual relationship with her. And then how many of you ask God to bless the relationship so she gets totally fulfilled in what you do and you do also? Did you know most men that I know never prayed that prayer? Not one time. And you know how many women I deal with? Cheryl and I deal with them together out there in the ministry center. They come in and say, I hadn't had sex with my husband in five years. Ten years. And when we did have sex, he never fulfilled me. Never one time. Been married 40 years. Never had a fulfillment in a sexual encounter with my husband. I'm telling you, that is a sad thing to hear. But we hear that all the time. I can understand that in the world. But not in the church. I had a woman tell us the other day, Cheryl and I was together in this meeting. She said, when my husband gets ready for sex, he comes and just tells me he wants to have sex. He does not kiss me. He does not caress me. He just has sex and takes him a few minutes and then it's over. No fulfillment. Don't even kiss me. How would you like to be his wife? You know who that guy's interested in? Only himself. That man professes to be a Christian man, and that man has never one time ever prayed about these kind of things. And you know how much sickness and disease has been in that man's life? Tons of it. He's been sick and afflicted and tormented many years of his life. And he's never fulfilled his wife, not one time in a sexual encounter. Do you know what? Since God is a faith God, 
There should never be a time when a man and a woman that's married together is going to have a sexual relationship that they don't pray over, or at least the man. The man should pray regular that he fulfill his wife's desires. It's a two-way street. If your wife is fulfilled, she'll enjoy having sex with her husband. If she's not fulfilled, she'll say, Oh, God, let him hurry up and get through. I'm serious. Kind of an intimate day today, isn't it? But I've come to realize the church has got to hear this. They don't know what's going on. I'm telling you, ma'am, some of them I do. Some of them listen and some of them don't. Some do and some don't. But how many men and women have you heard us tell about how to be healed and some of them get healed and some don't? How many people have you heard say, come in here, Jesus is the Savior. All you got to do is believe in Jesus. Confess with your mouth and believe your heart and you can be saved. And tons of people are out there all over the place. And they've heard that 10,000 times, but they won't believe it. But it's a free gift, isn't it, Jam? It's a free gift. How many people could get saved? Anybody. The price has been paid for sin. It's a free gift. Anybody could truly come to Christ and get saved. Who could get healed? Anybody that has not committed a sin unto death. Now then, if there is a sin unto death, who wants to commit a sin unto death? Nobody. Why do you think so many people in the church die early? And then you start throwing this out. You're sick and you're afflicted and you're tormented because of sin. Boy, I mean, some people in church, they buck up. I mean, you ought to see some of the people that we deal with that come from all over the country. I'm sick because of sin? Yes! You stop sinning, and I can get you healed. If you're not willing to stop sinning, there ain't no way I can get you healed. You know why we have such a great results in getting people healed? Because they come to our ministry center, they get on their face before God, and they pour out their sins before God. And when the King is there in our ministry center, He is there. And when people pour out their heart and they get rid of it, and it doesn't make any difference, it, you can take a family coming there, not got, got a dime. They can be poor. I mean, poor as poor can be. And they could be the worst looking couple you've ever seen in your life. And they can repent of their sins and God can heal them. Or you can take somebody who comes in and they've got a million dollars. It makes no difference. We've had them every way in the world. Rich and poor and everywhere in between. And I've come to realize when God said, I'm no respecter of persons. You may be rich and, I mean, you and your wife got money running out your ears. You may live in a million-dollar house, and your kids are sick, you're sick, she's got cancer, or you've got it, or your little daughter's got cancer. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care how much money you got, if mother or daddy, either one, and we've seen it several, both ways lately, daddy, cancer, or daddy's sickness. I mean, daddy's got unforgiveness, what I'm trying to say. And your little two, three, four, five, six-year-old, eight-year-old daughter is got a liver failure or a kidney failure or cancer of the liver. And why does a three-year-old child have cancer? When the, when the Lord built that little body, Jan, when that little body comes out of that womb, it should be perfect. It ought to last a hundred years, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right? But what is it the Lord tells us that brings forth death? Sin. So all of a sudden, Daddy doesn't realize. I mean, we're church members. One of them deacons down there done something I don't like. I'm mad at him. I'm going to hold a grudge against him. I ain't talking to him never again. It may take five, six, seven, eight years. 
And in that course of time, you ain't going to invite him to your house or nothing else. And all of a sudden, now you, your wife gets pregnant and she has a baby. A little boy, little girl. A little child gets to be three years old and all of a sudden the little child's got cancer. Just a coincidence? No, absolutely not. No curse comes upon you undeserved. I've seen families that everything in their life went perfect. For years, had good kids. No sickness, no disease. Everything's perfect. And then all of a sudden one day, mama or daddy gets into unforgiveness against one of the church members. And then all of a sudden, those two daughters that were virgins that wouldn't think about running around with nobody, one of them goes out and commits a fornication. All of a sudden, mama comes down sick. The other, one daughter committed fornication, the other one gets some kind of sickness and disease. That's incurable. Everything in the world begins to fall apart. Or you have three children, and they're all perfectly normal. And then you have a fourth one, and it's mentally retarded or handicapped. And then you find out your husband committed adultery on you between three and four. Just a coincidence, huh? No. Now, if men and women read this book and believed that, if I was married to a woman and we were still in the childbearing age, we were young, and if I knew that my sin was going to give the devil legal right to handicap one of my children, do you think I would even think about committing any kind of sin? I hope not. I wouldn't want to do that to one of my offspring, would you? Absolutely not. No curse comes upon you undeserved. As a lady wrote me a letter the other day, she said, Mr. Scrivener, you've got to stop teaching what you teach. You've destroyed two people's lives in our church. I thought, okay, let me read on. She said, we had a woman in our church that was, I don't know why she threw this in. I guess people think money is important. She had a six-digit income. That's 100000 plus. She gave that up and went to work for the church for minimum wage. Okay, I'm not going to say that she's smart. I'm not going to say she's humble. I'm not going to say she's stupid because I don't know the details. I don't know what the details were. But anyway, this is the woman put all this information in her email. I don't know why. But she said, when the woman heard one of your tapes, she found out that her child was handicapped because of her sin before she got married. And now then this woman wants to kill herself. I thought, isn't that amazing how sin brings forth death? Just like it says. Isn't that stupid? That sin brings forth death? Guess who said that? God did. God says sin brings forth death. And the devil's the one who moves in to make it happen. Now then, if that woman repents of her sins and does not do that anymore... And people understand that. How many children in the future, when you hear what God's Word says and you yield to it, how many lives might you change? A bunch. A bunch. So I'm going to tell you, ma'am, the one that wrote that email, if you ever listen to this tape, let me know. I am never going to stop teaching God's Word just like it's written. It's not even any use of me trying to do anything except this book, the way it's written. I'm going to teach it just like it says it. Because guess who he holds accountable? You and me, exactly the same. If I read this book, I have to live this book. And he says, even more so for you. He said, you know the truth. He said, you better not step out of line. 
You know, God will let one man get by. That's just like a, a woman asked Cheryl. A woman of the world that knew Cheryl. Whenever she started telling people that she was going to get married, some of the statements, some of the people she knew says, Well, have you tried him out sexually yet? And she says, Absolutely not. She said, Well, why? Cheryl said, This man God told me to marry is a holy man. And if he were to have sex outside of wedlock, I believe God would kill him right there. Well, I'm going to tell you, Sharon, I believe that too, don't you? Now that once you know the truth, when you didn't really know that, he'll just put sickness and disease and pain upon you for a few years. But then after you learn the truth and his mercy forgives you, you better not do it again. Because guess what's going to happen when you do it again? No telling. But I can assure you, you don't want that pain to come back seven times worse. And it may take you another five or ten years to die, but you don't want, after you've had that pain and suffering for a few years, you don't want it to come back seven times worse, do you? No. Could that happen to you? Absolutely. God's a merciful God, but do you know His mercy runs out? His mercy runs out. Why do you think people die early? Because His mercy runs out. He's a whole lot more merciful than I am. A whole lot more. And I'm glad He is. Because if He wasn't that merciful, guess who wouldn't be standing up here teaching you the Word of God today? It would be me. I'd already... He'd have killed me a long time ago. And Bobby, you just like me. You know you made some stupid mistakes too. Aren't me and you glad He's merciful? Yes, yes absolutely. But there ain't a person in here can't say that. You're alive today because God has been merciful to you. I don't care who you are. So you better be glad. You better be thankful. But today, he's got a message. And it is message, just like that lawyer. When Cheryl and I was up north, when that lawyer was up there, that lawyer said, I used to be a divorce attorney. And then he went in. He had a couple there that he was dealing with. And he went in and said, I've got to go in and pray before I make this decision. So he goes in and he said, Lord, how do I deal with this couple? And you know what God told him? He said, I hate divorce. Wow. And he said, that's about the way God said it. He said, it so startled me, I didn't expect to hear his voice. But he said, I hate divorce. Did he say that in his word? Yes, he did. I hate divorce. Then why do men and women get married and have divorces? Because of their hard heart. Because they will not yield to the word of God. And when you don't yield to the Word of God, you go all the way back to the children of Israel because of their hard heart and because they wouldn't do what He says. How many of the multitudes inherited His rest? How many? None. Not one single one. And He says, if not one single one of His own chosen people of Israel entered His rest, then He said, you better be afraid too. You think He's going to show you more mercy than He did them? No. People don't understand God. They go out and do what they want to, and husbands don't love their wives. Yeah, they say they do, but when's the last time you brought your wife some flowers? When's the last time you told her how much you loved her? When's the last time you held her in your arms and said, Honey, I love you. I want to tell you how much I appreciate you and all the years you spent raising these children when I was not around to help you. I think about men that never change a diaper. 
I think about men that never love their little children. The only thing men want to do is come home and have sex with their wife, produce them children, but they didn't want to take care of them. They don't even provide for them when they get them in the world. I'm telling you, guys, God's going, you're going to stand before the king one day. And you're going to be accountable for everything you've done on this earth. The Word of God says so. I stand in awe thinking one day, I've got to stand before the king of the universe. God, that knows everything, that I can't lie to, that's got a better record than anything. I, all I can say is, Lord, I want to everything under the blood. I want to walk holy before you. I want to walk in obedience to your word. I want to walk in love 100% of the time, Lord. That's where I want to live. That should my, be mine and your goal as children of God. If your wife messes up or you mess up. You mess up, do something wrong, what should be the first thing your wife should do? Forgive you. If your wife messes up and does something wrong, if you get angry with her, within two minutes, what should be the first thing you do? Repent and ask God to forgive you and forgive her. And say, we yielded to the devil. Now, we're not going to yield to that beast no more. You're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. The devil's our enemy. But we're going to love each other. I'm going to love you because you're my mate. And I'm going to love you like Christ loved the church and He was even willing to give His life for her. So that's the way I'm going to love you. What can I do for you today, honey, to prove that I love you? She said, take me to dinner. That's wonderful. Let's go. Let me take you to a place. I want to take you out and feed you a good dinner today just to show you how much I love you. Oh, and she shows that I'll have a Dr. Pepper for <laughs> to drink. Husbands, love your wives. And wives, when those men love you like that, they'll not... Let me ask this question. I want you to hold up your hand. I, women, if you had a husband that loved you like I'm talking about today, is there any woman in here that... Is, is every woman in here, would you be willing to submit to a man loved you like that? Every woman would. He would do anything he asked you to do. If, if Debbie... If a man says, your husband, if he loves you, I mean like Christ loved the church, and Gabe would be willing to know you knew he would give his life for you, what would you do for that man? Anything. You'd do anything he asked, wouldn't you? Sure. Because if he was a man of God, that's what you would do. And there's not a single woman that wouldn't do that. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day, the Word of God. That tells us what we have to do to be your children. You say if we walk in love, there's no darkness in us. But you say if we don't do these things that you told us to do, which is walk in love, that we're lying and the truth's not in us. So Lord, help us to examine our lives today. To be the men, the men that love our wives, that tell our wives, and show them by our works that we do love them. Help us, Father to be about your business. Realizing that you came and died on that cross, sent your son to die on the cross when I was a wicked sinner. I can't fathom that. But you died for me when I was lost and wicked and doing terrible things. And you still died for me so that I can walk in love. Help me to walk in it. Help all of us to walk in it. Help us to forgive one another. Help us to walk in love. Your kind of love. The God kind of love. So that people may know that you live...
because you live through us. When we live in strife and seditions and hatred and anger, you say we are destroyed. And when we're destroyed, nobody wants what you got. And if you tell them you're a Christian, nobody wants to be a Christian. Or if that's the way Christians are, who wants to be a Christian? So, Lord, help us to walk in your kind of love so the world may know that you live. Thank you, Father, for your words, for your book. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to be prayed for today for something, we're going to close this service. And if you need to be prayed for, you come down here. If you need to make a decision for Jesus or whatever, and we've got all kinds of DVDs, new teaching CDs, everything back there. It's all free. Take what you want to. If you want to leave a donation for our ministry, the box is over here. So praise the Lord. We welcome you to come up for prayer. Yes, ma'am.